Thank you, Mike, for that prayer. And thank you for all, again, for all of you who have joined us. Um, those songs, which were recorded a while ago, are, you know, Mike chose them without actually even, we didn't even get a chance to talk about what I was preaching today, but uh, but they were perfect. Um, because as I, I look at myself, um, I, it is easy for me to see how sinful and broken I am. As I look at our city, it's easy for me to see how sinful and broken it is. Every day at work, I get to see that in living color. Um, I get to see the ravages of addiction, of violence. You know, you can read the news um, just about the devastation that COVID has brought on our country. And yeah, if I think back to kind of late March, early April, when COVID was at, it, at its worst point in our city, uh, brings back a flood of memories of just suffering and death. When you look in the news, you can also see um, a country that is just wrestling through all manner of past and present racial injustices. You know, I think of... Um, you know, on a, on a more international scale, the explosion in Beirut, um, as well as the uh, forest fires in California, there is a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of death in our world. Sometimes it seems like Satan is winning. A couple of weeks ago, Matthew preached from Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2, which is one of my, my favorite passages in Scripture, um, I think in part because I used to run. Um, and Paul uses a running metaphor, or not Paul, the writer of Hebrew uses a running metaphor there. Um, It's written to a relatively young church. Uh, most scholars believe that Hebrews was written somewhere between 60 and 70 AD. Um, at that point, what had been a small group of Jewish, believer, uh, Jewish believers has ballooned into a group that includes Asians and Africans and Europeans um, from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, and they not only deal with the struggles that any diverse church is going to have um, internally, um, but they've also faced persecution from Jewish leaders um, throughout the towns of the Roman Empire, um, but increasingly Rome itself. Um, so Hebrews is also written to a people in a time 
where it would be easy to believe that Satan was going to win, that there was no way that they were going to finish the race. But I've got some good news. Satan doesn't win. What you see around you is not the whole story. We get to see in part, um, Paul says in Corinthians, but one day we're going to see more fully. We are kind of like Elisha's servant. When an army came to capture Elisha, and he looks out, and all he can see, all he can see is the army. And Elisha says, no. That's not the whole story. And he prays for God to open his eyes. And when God does that, he sees mountains full of the armies of God. So, family of God, I want to remind you today that you are not a mistake. You may be broken. You are sinful, as I am. But you are not a mistake. This is the exact moment and the exact location that God intended for you from before the creation of the world. In Christ, you are transformed. As the song put it, his grace changes everything. His power is made perfect through your weakness. You are an overcomer. And you come from a long line of overcomers, stretching back all the way to the creation of the world. I want to piggyback on Matthew's sermon by actually looking at the passage that leads up to it. Um, it's kind of a long passage, so bear with me. But starting in Hebrews 10:32, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. 
But before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward. He was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He pers persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength 
and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the Lord. Hard to add to that. Um, In my experience, um, in a race, if I was running it the way I ought to and was pushing myself, there always came a time where I really wanted to give up, where every muscle in my body burned and my breath got more and more ragged and I wondered if I could finish. And at that moment, I had to remind myself of everything that I had gone through to get there. The hundreds and thousands of miles, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds (laughs) and thousands of miles that I had run to get in shape to run the race. The workouts that I had done, the blisters and sores and aches and pains that I had endured, the stress fractures, to get to that point. And I think that's what Paul is doing here for this young church, this young church that faces struggles from within and without. He's taking them back. He starts in the end of chapter 10 by reminding them what they've gone through. And then he reminds them of who they are in Christ and who they have joined, the great heroes of old. He provides them with a common heritage, um, a shared set of values, which is key in creating community. And it's interesting that although they came from so many different backgrounds, he gives them a spiritual lineage um, that they can share. And one that that didn't stop at the end of the Old Testament and didn't stop at the end of the New Testament. It continues to grow to this day. There's some great books out there like Fox's Book of Martyrs, which 
traces the early church and voice of the martyrs also has more modern examples of inspirational stories of people who gave everything for their faith. There's also countless biographies of Christians throughout history. And we need their examples. One thing about those kind of stories is they don't always tell of the brokenness of the person. Um, And I think that's tremendously important, which is why it's also crucial. It's also vital for us to have books like The Color of Compromise and other books that kind of unearth the uglier parts of our history. And if you look through this list of people in Hebrews 11, it is not a list of people that we would make heroes today. At least not most of them. Noah, as soon as he was able to, after getting through the flood, he planted a vineyard and got blackout drunk. Abraham left the land he came from, but then almost immediately, it seems, goes to Egypt because he's afraid that God won't provide for him in the land. And then he lies about his wife being his sister. And Sarah, although she's commended in this passage for believing that God could have her bear a son in her old age, in Genesis, when it's mentioned, Sarah actually laughs at the impossibility of it. Jacob tricks and cheats his way into a blessing. Moses killed an Egyptian and fled the wrath of the Pharaoh. And when God asked him to come back, he came up with excuse after excuse about how he wasn't the right person to lead. The people of Israel complained and rebelled at every turn, and yet God still delivered them. Rahab, who in every mention of her is tied to the sin of prostitution. She lived a life of sin prior to meeting the Israelite spies and saved them by lying. Gideon and Barak were cowards much like Moses and came up with excuses about why they could not lead. Samson is one of the more remarkable additions to this because it seems like it was only in his last moment in life and an otherwise self-centered life that he leaned on God, that he acknowledged that God was the source of his strength and he only did that in order that he could kill a couple thousand of his enemies. Jephthah sacrificed his daughter after making a rash vow. David committed adultery, and then murder to cover up his adultery. These are not perfect people. Which I think is encouraging (laughs) in some way. Um, It's encouraging to me because I'm not a perfect person. 
And I suspect that you may not be perfect either. I think it's also telling, or it should give us pause, I should say, as we go back and we look at our history and we start to judge those who came before us. The people in that passage, most of them screwed up in horrible ways and hurt those around them. But because of their faith, Scripture says God was not ashamed of them. I think what Paul does for us in this passage is he pulls back the veil a little bit. He says this is the real story. This is what's really going on. These are the kinds of people you come from. This is who you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created with purpose and value. You're a child of the king. Nothing can separate you from his love. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, the same God who spoke in existence the world, the universe. He lives inside of you. The fullness of him dwells inside of you, Scripture tells us. And because of that, you are more than a conqueror. So no matter how sinful and broken you are, no matter what the world looks like around you, the world needs you. Because the world needs Jesus. And he chose to do his work through his people. You are not a mistake. You may be broken. You may be sinful. But this is the exact moment in history, the exact geographic location that God predestined for you and for me. In him, you are transformed. His power is made perfect in your weakness. Your weaknesses are intentional. They may not ever go away because God doesn't want to use perfect people. He wants the glory and so he uses broken vessels like you and me. In him, you are an overcomer. There is nothing in this world that can stop you. That doesn't mean you won't get hurt. That doesn't mean you won't die. But nothing will stop you. God is preparing a city whose foundations cannot be shaken. And it's waiting for you. So family of God, please know that Satan is not winning. Persevere. Listen to the voices of the great cloud of witnesses around you. They are cheering you on. So let us throw off everything that hinders. 
whether it be a good thing that we've turned into an idol or a distraction that weighs us down or sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your... (laughs) Sorry. It's a good book. You should read it all if you get the chance. Um, Yeah. Family of God, I just, just pray that you would take time to renew your mind. There are so many messages that we get from the world um, that we need to pause daily and regularly and frequently and for long amounts of time and remind ourselves and remind one another of what truth is, of what's hidden behind the veil of this world. My wife, Kristen, is... a remarkable person, and she does this really well. I think I am more prone to kind of looking at the world as um, a glass half empty, but she is a constant um, just reminder of, of God's goodness and his character and his love and his power in our lives. And I pray that you would be that to other people, that I would be that to other people. Um, And that God would raise up people to be that to you, to be that reminder, as the writer of Hebrews is to the audience here. Because it's easy to forget. It's easy to just focus on the problems around us, kind of like Peter when he tried to walk on water. He lost sight of Jesus, and as soon as he did, he started looking at the waves, and he started sinking. We need to be pointing each other back to Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, You are so good and so loving and so powerful. Lord, would you give us faith where we have none? Would you strengthen our weak legs? Would you make straight our path, Lord? And would you give us a group of believers, Lord, who will Come together, Lord, and run this race that you set before us, Lord. Lord, yeah, would you give us your otherworldly strength, Lord, that we might shine your otherworldly character, Lord, in the midst of the darkness around us. Lord, would you be made known? Lord, would folks look at Macab Church and the folks who have gone forth from it and would they, would they see your light, Lord? Would you make that happen?
Thank you, Jesus. Amen.